There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Four-time Grammy nominee Stanley Jordan just played a special Jimi Hendrix tribute at Strathmore. We spoke about Hendrix's legacy, Jordan's own unique playing style, and even recording the startup music for Apple computers. Oh, thanks, Jason. I'm happy to be talking to you. This has been a, a show I've been doing frequently, at least I was, till COVID hit. <laughs> the idea is it's not just a standard tribute um, because I'm imagining that Jimmy is alive today. And so this is my fantasy Jimi Hendrix concert if he were still playing today. Wow. So what does a fantasy Jimi Hendrix concert entail? We do some things that I had never heard Jimmy do, but I feel that he was going in that direction. For example, um, some of his late recordings, like some of the jams that surfaced later, he was getting into some sort of interesting kind of Middle Eastern scales and he was getting more of a jazz influence and things like that. So I follow up on some of the things that I think were coming up in his music. We do some of the songs everyone knows, like Foxy Lady. Of course, we do that. And we also do some of the more obscure things like 1983, A Merman I Shall Turn to Be. And we just do some jamming, you know, we, but we do some jamming in the style of Jimmy. And, you know, one of the things that was great about that time and a, a time that he really largely defined was that it was very free form and free spirit. And so spontaneous things would happen. So it's the same thing with our show. We don't always know what's going to happen, but we just go with the flow. So when did your obsession with Jimi Hendrix begin? I mean, uh, following him, uh, obviously before his untimely death, he, he left us way too young at 27. But memories of when you first heard him and, and said, wow. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, he did leave us too young. You know, the, the whole time from the moment he picked up the guitar to the day he died was only 10 years. It's just amazing how much he did in such a wow. short time. And I first really got into his music before I played guitar because I was a piano player. And I saw the news that Jimmy had died. And I was really touched by that. And I was already wanting to get into blues and getting into rock. And and I wanted to play guitar. So I decided in that moment that I'm going to play guitar because I want to follow up on some of the things that Jimmy did. So even though I've got my own career and I've gone in my own direction, um, Jimmy was really the inspiration for me to even start playing guitar in the first place. That's awesome. Yeah, I think uh, you were born in Chicago in, in 59. But so, like you said, you, you learned piano first at like, what, age six and then guitar at, at 11. So I didn't realize that. So you heard Jimmy and that's the reason you picked up guitar. Yeah. I mean, I had wanted to play. It was kind of in the back of my mind. And that was the moment. So even though I've done my own thing, you know, I would say that a lot of what my career on guitar has been is following up on things that I thought Jimmy was developing. 
And, and so I feel like this show was, is just really natural for me, you know, because I've been mostly known as a jazz guitarist, it might surprise some people. You know, you, you sort of mentioned when you first started playing guitar, but take me into when you started pursuing it, you know, more as a, you know, from college on. So I know you studied music theory and different things at, at Princeton. Um, is it true you, when you were there, you, you played with, with Dizzy Gillespie, Benny Carter, some, you know, you, you met some Titans. Oh yeah. So Benny Carter did a semester. He taught a, a course at Princeton. It was a, com- a combination of the music department and the American studies program. It had to do with the history of jazz. And so I met him because I took that course and I uh, got an opportunity to perform with him because he did a concert at Princeton and he invited some heavyweight musicians, including Dizzy Gillespie. And um, they brought me upstage to, to play. And I, I thought that it would be difficult. I thought it would be intimidating. But I was surprised because once I hit the stage with them, I just felt so natural and so comfortable. And I felt like, yes, this is, this is what I want to do. <laughs> so that was an early memory of realizing that um, maybe I had the potential to, you know, do this for real. Fantastic. And then how did you actually, how did you get signed by, by Blue Note Records? I guess it was like 85 to do that album, Magic Touch with, gosh, it was on, it was number one on Billboard Jazz for like 51 weeks or something crazy. How, how yeah. did that, how did that record deal come about? Well, I had met Bruce Lundvall, who was not yet at Blue Note Records. He was at a different label. And, um, we, we met and he, he wanted to work with me already, but I wasn't ready. And then one day I went in there and I said, okay, what do we do? What's the next step? I want to get started. And he said, well, before we talk, I got to tell you, I don't work here anymore. I just got a call last night from the chairman of Capital Industries. They want me to revive Blue Note Records and they want to have a major pop label presence on the East Coast. And they want me to head the whole thing. And I want you to be the first artist I sign. So give me some time to get this off the ground and, and we'll, we'll, we'll do it. So it was just an amazing thing, you know, um, because some people were telling me at the time that I shouldn't wait. You know, this is a great opportunity. I should go for it. And then I said, but I'm not ready. I'm not ready. So fortunately I, I did wait and, you know, you just never know how things work out, but I do believe that if you do the right thing, then things have a tendency to fall into place. So it was just one of those magical things. Well, yeah, it sounds like it, it all, it all paid off. The, the waiting wor- panned out. <laughs> um, yeah. everybody, I mean, anyone who's watched you or followed your career, there's a lot of talk of, you know, how your unique playing style, how you tap your fingers on the fret with both hands. How did that come to you? Like, how did, how did you start doing that? Well, you know, it's funny because a lot of people know, um, you know, Van Halen for that and, and another artist we, we lost way too soon. So phenomenally talented. But the thing is, Jimmy was already doing some of those things. He was already implying that. For example, if you look on his 1968 live Monterey pop um, version of Foxy Lady, there's times where he's got his right hand up in the air and his left hand is playing, playing lines with, with one hand. And I remember seeing that and thinking, wow, that's interesting that you could play a guitar with just one hand. I wonder what you could do if you had two hands, you know, doing different things. The other thing is there were, there were times when he would do stuff like he would tap the strings up high in the neck with his pick and up, 
all kinds of other stuff like that. So I actually originally got the idea really from watching Jimmy. I just sort of expanded on some things that he was doing. Nice. Well, you're carrying on the legacy there at that. Well, I mean, you are an accomplished guy in your own right. I mean, yeah, we're talking Jimmy and you're paying tribute, but you, you've earned four Grammy nods yourself, sir. So re- remind our listeners what your four nominations came for. So let's see. I have to think because when I, when I did my first album on Blue Note, I did get um, two Grammy nominations for that. I think one was um, for best instrumental solo on a pop song or something like that. And the other one I don't remember, best new artist or something like that. And then um, I got one for my performance of my recording of Marvin Gaye's What's Going On on my Cornucopia album. And there was another one, um, I can't remember that one right now. But the interesting thing is that even though most people know me as a, a jazz artist, um, most of my Grammy nominations have actually been in the pop category. So, you know, it's all labels. We, we sometimes struggle with what to call this and what to call that. Right. But the main thing is that I've always had broad interests in a lot of different kinds of music. And in the beginning, it was a little bit challenging because the industry was set up for, you know, artists who do just one thing. And so I kind of had to stubbornly insist that I'm doing whatever I feel like doing. And I think over time, the industry has kind of made way for me, sort of maybe grudgingly at, at first. But now it's not such a big deal. You know, younger artists, people coming up now, everyone understands that people have a lot of different influences and they have diverse interests. And so I like to think that I helped to sort of open that door. Because nowadays we grow up, there's so much media, there's so much influence. The old sort of, you know, folk tale of the, artists from a small town playing some local music you know it's it's just doesn't happen as much as it used to well speaking of you having diverse interests correct me if i'm wrong but i'm pretty sure you've always been into like computer music too like even back studying some in college and did, is it true you did the you recorded the startup sound for some macintosh computers oh yeah that's true um so in 1994 I went to Apple headquarters and I did a sort of a lunchtime concert pep talk for people because Apple was going through some tough times. And I said, keep it up. We love what you guys are doing. And then someone pulled me aside afterwards and said, hey, we'd like you to do a startup sound. We've got a whole new line of computers coming out based on this high speed processor. And computers are going to be doing different things now. They're not just going to be an office tool. People are going to be listening to music and watching movies. It's going to be a a media appliance now. Well, you know, nowadays it's no big deal, but that's when that started. And they said, we'd like you to do the startup sound. So I asked them a lot of questions about these new computers coming out, the Power Macs. And I took everything they told me and I embodied that in the sound and I created that sound. So the first Power Mac, like the 6100, the 8100, that line of computers has the startup sound that I made. It's It's got acoustic guitar, so it's got that natural sound to it. It's got this sort of a rock and roll attitude because it's got this minor chord. It's similar to the chord, you know, with um, Yes, Roundabout, and there's a chord where he hits harmonics. It's similar to that chord. So it's got a little bit of a rock attitude. It comes on really quickly. It doesn't kind of ooze in, but it's like razor sharp. 
all those things embodied the stuff that they told me about this new line of computers. So I'm kind of proud of that, you know, because when you start up that computer, that sound, that's the first thing that it does. Yeah. So like when I turn my, I'm a, I'm a, I have a Mac, uh, MacBook Pro nowadays and you know, it does that done when you turn it on. So what, what was your sound? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's similar because it's, it's got a uh, sharp attack. It's like a bong, but it's mostly guitar. There's some synth in there in the bass in the low part of it, but I, I combine two or three guitars where I'm hitting harmonics on the guitar. So it's bright and splashy, but clearly an acoustic guitar. So that sound that I hear and all our listeners hear when they turn on their Macs is sort of a, a remnant or a descendant of the, of the sound that you made for those Macs in the, in the early to mid nineties. It's similar in some ways, but it's all synth. So it doesn't have that natural sound of the startup sound that I made. And I would love to hear them go back to something more like that. Um, I already know if they, if they ask me to do another one, I already know what it's going to be. So, you know. Oh, you've already got it and crafted in your head what it sounds like. (laughs) (laughs) That last one, that first one was more of a sort of an E minor. This next one is going to be more of an F major. Yeah, I've already got it figured out. <laughs> All right, you hear that, Apple? Come, come calling. Stanley <laughs> Jordan's ready. Wait, before before I move on from that topic, did you actually get to meet Steve Jobs then? Um, no, I did never met Steve Jobs. I think at that time, I'm not even sure. I think this was during the time that Steve wasn't at Apple. Right, they to- got they they made him leave and then he came back. Yeah, he came back, and the rest is history. Well, you you filled in that gap for them. <laughs> um cool well i mean you've uh you know thanks for your time before we let you run i mean you've worked with some huge artists and collaborated i mean quincy jones and dave matthews a bunch of people um you know was there a particular highlight for you when i mean working with like a quincy must have been like a dream come true well the thing with quincy um happened actually when i was pretty young because i was living in the san francisco bay area and they put an all-star band together of high school musicians in the county. And we all got a chance to perform with Quincy. So I think I was like 16 at the time. And I ended up doing some major solos during that concert. And, you know, years later, he remembered me and, and so forth. So it was really a, a, an honor getting to play with them at, at such a young age. Um, so that was a highlight. I would say another highlight was the song that I did with Kenny Rogers. Um, Morning Desire. He was just such a sweet guy and, and just so talented and what a storyteller. And that was in the, let's see, 1986. Um, that was the number one country song of the year. And the producer was George Martin, who was the producer of the Beatles, you know, and he was so great to work with. And I had an idea that involved a little bit of extra time. And I said, is it okay? If I work on this and he said, sure. So he was out shooting basketball hoops while I worked out this idea. And I ended up having this major solo on the end of the, of the song. And the theme of the song is he doesn't want to go to work. He just wants to stay at home with his, with his lover and enjoy listening to the rain. So the way I think of it is I, I was the rain in that song. <laughs> wow. What, what was the title of the song again? It's called Morning Desire. Morning Desire. Man, rest in peace, Kenny Rogers. One of the true legends. A crossover yeah. from country pop. He could do and even that early stuff. Um, what, what was it in? Just dropped in to see what my condition was in. He could do it all. Yeah, yeah that's right. right. Um, 
All right, cool. One final thing of your other pop culture stuff. You've done some stuff for the screen. I know you were you did a cameo in Blake Edwards' Blind Date. You were you did the score for Daddy's Girl, the ABC special. Um, and then I know people probably saw you perform on Late Night a lot too. Like, what, how cool was it performing? Uh, you know, with with Johnny Carson or, or David Letterman watching you. <laughs> oh yes, I I did a lot of TV. I did the John Car- Johnny Carson show. I did the I did the Tonight Show with also with. Um, Jay Leno and also with Jimmy Fallon. I've been on Letterman several times and a lot of other shows, David Brenner. And when it was, uh, Regis, Regis and Kathy, I did their show. And I, I just really enjoy doing TV. You know, it's, it's a little bit on the edge because things work quickly. You know, it's fast, fast paced. I remember there's one time when I did, uh, this was when Johnny was, was hosting and we did Stairway to Heaven. And it was like 10 seconds before the curtain. And my, my tech was having trouble getting the equipment to work. And he was sweating bullets. He couldn't get the sound to work. And the stage manager was counting down 10, 9, 8. And he saw what was going on. And he said, fade to commercial. And I said, no, it's okay. And he said, okay, don't fade to commercial. And then at the count of like four, um, the tech finally got got the the rig to work and they opened the curtain and we played the song so i had a lot of faith in in my tech and he came through for me uh that was one of those moments when you when you take a chance because that's a close call (laughs) yeah close call (laughs) hey thanks so much for doing this i'll think of you every time i turn on my mac now Thanks. And yeah, someone put in a word for me. It's time for a, a new Stanley sound. Yeah. Let's go back to, <laughs> let's, uh, yeah, go back to what that original more of a guitar, not a synth sound. Except I know yep. you, you got it. You got a new idea of, of how you can even update it. I can't wait to hear. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Jason. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.